not here last week, um, you can, if you want to hear that, it's online or you can get a CD, but it's going to be part one. Um, before we launch into the fall and the things that God's calling us to in the fall, I wanted to spend a couple of weeks again just kind of talking about the vision and mission of the church here, the unique calling that I believe that is on uh, this church. And again, uh, we as a church, we are a part of the greater sense of the body of Christ. And the Lord has called us uniquely to, in this place, in this region. Um, he placed us where He has placed us. Again, like Esther, for such a time as this. And we're not at any other time in history. We are here now. We can see, you know, from the first century when, when, when the church was born in Acts 2 and all that happened leading us up to where we are at now, that we are here by divine purpose. By God's design that each of us is here right now. God has a plan and a purpose for every human life. You are called, you are set apart, you are chosen by God to accomplish things for His work and His purposes. Isn't that a great promise? And we are here today because God, in His foreknowledge, knew that we were going to be here today. And so I want to uh, be who God's called me to be. I want us as a church to be who God has called us to be. And so today we're going to pick up and we're going to be in kind of the part two um, of, of the, the vision and mission of the church to reiterate our, our mission here is to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and to lead others to Him. And I understand that that's probably a sense that every Christian should live that. But that's just kind of our, our mission statement here in this church to say this is what we will do, this is what we're called to do, to be reminded that's why we exist. It's very easy for us to veer off sometimes and, and get away from the mission in which we are called, but we to, um, and I think it's the backup where it says, write the vision and make it plain. We need to be reminded of the vision and mission of the church, and our vision is to reach up and reach up, that's kind of our catchphrase, is to reach up to God. And a lifestyle of worship, giving our hearts to the men, reaching out to others, loving God and loving people. And that's what Jesus said when they were asking him, what's the greatest commandment? And they're saying, you know, if we're, if, we're, if we're looking at all the commandments, which is the greatest? And Jesus is saying, then you're looking at it from a wrong perspective. He said, all the, 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 the law and the prophets, all the commandments can be summed up with this. You love God with everything that's within you and love your neighbor as yourself. That's to live out the commandments. And so then, what we talked about the first five last week, we, we have these ten kind of mission essentials. Who we are, so that's who we are, where we're going, but how do we get there? These mission essentials, if you will. And uh, again, kind of who we are. So I want to look at them. Um, yeah, let's go here first, and then we'll go to the first five. This is from the Colossians series, but here's what Paul says in ending this letter. I think what a great um, segue into where we are going vision and mission-wise. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind. And again, we're even talking about prayer. Next week, we're going to start the series called 52. I'm very excited about it. I encourage you to come invite people with you. Um, I won't give you any more than that. You guys have seen teasers on that. Um, but uh, the first part of 52 is about prayer. And, and, and what the prayer is and what prayer is not. But Paul says, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us to the God who give us many opportunities to speak about this mysterious plan concerning Christ. You see Paul's mission in there? He says, pray for us that we will continually have opportunities to share the gospel. 
That's why he was alive. He said, as, as believers in Christ, this is how we should live our life. Pray that we'll have opportunities. And Paul looked for opportunities again. He was, at some times, he was a free man and he was able to go into these cities and he was able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and talk to people, engage people about Christ. Other times, a lot of his adult life was in, in prison. And, and he, didn't, he didn't think that that was a waste of time. In fact, while he was in prison, he led people to the Lord. He wrote these letters. This was written from prison. But he looked at every situation that he was in as an opportunity to spread the gospel. And that's why he says, pray for us too. And he's talking about like his, his partners that we have opportunities to speak about Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Then these next two kind of as a lead into where we're going. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And this is speaking to us as believers. How we should live in the world that we live in today, in the world that God has called us. Live wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of every opportunity. Every day is an opportunity to reveal Christ in some way. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go and preach a message to somebody or share the gospel vocally, but we can be kind, we can be loving, we can be caring, we can serve. There's many different ways that we have opportunities to reveal Christ and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you'll have the right response for everyone. And it's just like, watch how you live. Guard how you're living. And so the first five, let's look at those very quickly. Um, so our mission is number one is complete devotion to God, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and, and Jesus is saying, are you all in? Will you be my follower? I'm calling you to an all-in faith. Not just Sundays, not one foot in the, door, in, in the world and one foot in it with Jesus. It's, it's all in. Complete devotion to God. This is... This goes beyond our circumstances because no matter what happens, I'm all in and I'm going to follow Jesus. Devotion to God. Um, profound dedication. Number two, intimacy with Christ. That means we are created to love God and to be loved by God. We are created to be in relationship with God. And a lot of people have it, and the enemy tries to get us into this kind of backwards way of thinking where it says, I will follow rules so God will love me more. And that's the wrong mindset. That's a religious mindset is I'm going to try to do good deeds, good works, so that God loves me more. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died to display his love for us. And so, in a loving relationship, I love him, therefore I will do good works because I love him. So we were created for relationship with God. Don't ever forget that. Number three, we were created to reveal Christ to others, that we spread the good news of Jesus by our actions, our words, and our relationships. Number four, faithful stewardship. We are all called as stewards. We will stand before God. And Second Corinthians, if you're tracking on the one your Bible, um, just the other day, it says this. It says, everyone will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for your life for the good or the evil that you did. And you will be held in account by the righteous judge of the earth and the world and, 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 and the righteous judge of all time, Jesus, we will stand before him, and it will be a stewardship judgment. What did you do with what you were given? How did you manage? And, and, and if we were the owner of our lives, I don't want to stand before God as the owner of my life. I want to stand before him as he was the owner, and I managed what he gave me. But we are called stewardship. That's our time, our resources, our bodies, our energies, our, our relationships, knowing that he's the owner. And then we are called 
godly character and integrity. And you can see in that verse there, it says the righteous man walks in integrity, his children are blessed after him. There's a lot of passages on integrity. I love that one because the ripple effect of integrity, when you walk in integrity and godly character, it affects your children and your children's children. And the opposite is true. When you lack integrity, it affects your children and your children's children. So if you're called to walk in character and say, that's doing the right thing, whether no one's looking or everyone's looking. So that was last week. Now we're going to jump into this week. Number six is this. Finding God's purpose for life. And when I said this today and I said it last week, you were created by God for a purpose. He has a plan for your life. No person on planet Earth, and I know that there's a lot of people. And sometimes we can say, well, man, this if you love every single one of these people individually and he sees them, he has a plan and purpose for life, the answer is yes, because he is God and he can do that. But he has a purpose for your life. And ultimately, that purpose is to know him and to be known by him. But you were called to accomplish God's purpose for your life. He has a plan, he has a destiny for you. And I know that we can hear that and we can think, well, what does that mean? And a lot of people have their own spin on that and it's like, well, God's plan for me is to be in full-time ministry. And that might be for some, but it's not for most. Because here's the thing. When you belong to Jesus, you are called to the ministry. You are all called to the ministry. When, you belong, when you're walking with Christ, you are called to ministry. It's just a different world. And people tend to, and we, we, we tend to, like, romanticize this idea of, like, I come to know Christ and now I'm supposed to be a preacher. You know, we, 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 and we have this kind of, like, ladder, like, an important ladder in the kingdom of God. Preachers are up here, and, you know, you know people are, you know, everybody else kind of work their way down. And it's not so. In the kingdom, we're all equal. We have different roles. We have a different place, but we are all called as ministers. That's what, remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 when he calls us ambassadors. That's not just pastors. He said, you are called as ambassadors. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, as believers, you're called to be representatives of Jesus. You are called to be his ministers and, 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 and to show forth the gospel to people that you come in contact with. You're all called in your sphere of influence, in your job, in the people that you come in contact with, in your family members. You are called to be influences of the kingdom of God no matter where he has placed you. And so there are times when he says, well, I want you to do a full-time ministry here or there, but that, don't look at that as an important thing. Look at that as a simply a different role. I love Ephesians 2. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. It's a promise that you can hang on to. He has created the new in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. And you see that? So long ago, before you were born, God had a plan. And He had good deeds and good things He called you to. And again, that's not good things to get you saved, but it's because you are saved, you are called to do good things. But it was well in advance, and that's why I love 
the idea of this when, 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 when David is writing in Psalm 139 about, he said, uh, before my days were ever, uh, you know, before I was ever conceived, you knew me, and my days were planned out by you. In other words, you were more than a biological event between a man and a woman, and all of a sudden you were, you know, you were thought of in God's heart from the foundation of the world. And He had a plan and a purpose for you. And I know that some people walk through hard situations and we, we say, well, what was God's plan? I, thought, you know, I went through this or I went through that and there was abuse and there was hurt and there was pain. But here's the beautiful thing about God. God can take those broken pieces, He can restore you, and He can use your story for His glory and to touch other people. So why nothing is wasted when we belong to Jesus. Because here's the thing, we are created, again, to, to be known by Him and to bring Him glory. Because ultimately, everything is to point to Him and not us, right? That's, I've quoted this before, but I, I love Count Zinzendorf. Isn't that a great name? If I had an alternative name, it would be Count Zinzendorf. Um, but he led a revival many hundreds of years ago. There was a continual prayer movement that was going on. It was just a, an amazing move of God hundreds of years ago. And there's a few quotes by him, and one of my favorite quotes by him is this. He said, My aim in life is to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I'm like, that guy's my hero. And because he said that, now everybody talks about it. Because he, he the purpose is not about me. I fulfill God's purpose, and I enjoy God, and He, and he loves me, and, and He signs His life for me, but it's not about me. It's always about Him. Because when we get to heaven and we see Him face to face, it will all be worth it, and we will say it's all about you, and we give you glory and honor. Our life purpose is to love Him, be loved by Him, be known by Him, and to bring Him glory. And then... I love Romans 14, 8. It says, if we live or die, whatever we do is as unto the Lord. And that's what Paul says, that we live, it's unto the Lord. If we die, it's unto the Lord. That's what Paul said. You can, you can kill me, you can execute me, and whatever I belong to the Lord, it will be unto the Lord. If I, if I live, it's for His glory. If I die, it's for His glory. If I live, I win. If I die, I win, because I get to be with Him. It doesn't matter. As an eternal perspective. So God's will we were created for God's purposes. Number seven. This is so hugely important to the body of Christ, and I think as we move along and things get a little, maybe a little crazier, but unity, unity is non-negotiable. Churches break up, families break up, all kinds of things happen because the enemy tries to drive a wedge and he tries to fight against unity. Unity is absolutely essential in the body of Christ. And you can look back and you can see in churches and things that have happened when churches split and churches, it's, it, it's usually something happens, there's offenses and really Offenses will happen. We will be offended. We will get our feelings hurt. There are problems. There are pains. There are, you know, we see that in marriage. We see that in family. We see it in the church. 
and attempt to take you for any lesson. This is not just unique to, to us. It's, 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 this is a historical thing, and that's why in biblical times there was so much that Paul talked about unity. In Ephesians, he talked about unity. In Colossians, he talked about unity. In Philippians, he talked about unity. And the importance that we must stay together and love each other and forgive one another because the enemy wants to break us up and the temptation for us is we get offended and we leave. And we separate and we care for each other. And then what we do is we justify why we torn against each other and then we wait, well that person can apologize to me or and I'll, I'll maybe say I'm sorry if they say they're sorry and we, it cannot be with us. We have to walk in unity. We must walk in unity. For the sake of the gospel. And that's why the church, with Christ in us, is the hope of the world. And when people come in, if they see us being disunified, well, they can get that outside of here. But if they see us forgiving each other, even when it hurts, when they see us forgiving like Jesus today, that even at the point, and here's, here's Jesus' act of forgiveness, even when he's hanging on the cross in his most vulnerable moment, he's his Father to give them. I think we can forgive. Father, forgive these ones that just spit in my face, tore out my beard, beat me beyond recognition. Forgive them. Forgive them. So we must walk in unity. And we can accomplish infinitely more together than apart. And in John 17, remember, before Jesus is crucified, He's praying for unity. And He's praying, ultimately, He prays for His disciples, because He knows what's going to happen. They're getting ready to scatter and run away, and, but He also prays for us. He said, Father, I pray for those who will hear the message. In other words, in the garden, Jesus is praying for the church. He's praying for us. He said that, Father, that they would be one as you and I are one. And then he says this, so that the world will know that you sent me. That's the gospel message. And he said, for the world to understand the gospel, one of the ways is us walking in unity. That's how important unity is to Jesus. Again, Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 1.10, and it's not up there, but you can, you know, I just kind of, uh, you know, have these written so you can watch them. But 1 Corinthians 1, Paul said that there should be no divisions in the church, no separations. And he gets into, he said, some people are saying, well, I follow this guy, and I follow this guy, and I follow Peter, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and he's talking about, and he said, is Christ divided? We've made this thing about personal preferences, about who we like, and then we run after this, and, well, I like this, and I'm, I'm of this, and I'm of that. And he said, we have to put that stuff aside, and we need to focus on who's important, and that's Jesus. Ephesians 4, 3, to make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Make every effort. You know why he says that? Make every effort. It's going to be tough sometimes. And I've said it before, and I will say it again, but we need to be reminded, you are going to get your feelings hurt. You are going to get offended. You are going to offend someone. Whether Sometimes we, you know, maybe we mean it, but a lot of times we don't mean it. Sometimes it's just that we're doing life, and we something's going on, and we 
maybe ignore somebody, but we're going through something, we're going to get our feelings hurt, we're going to offend, we have to get over that. And the enemy sees it on it and he makes it a way bigger deal than it really is. And when we start listening to the lies of the enemy, that's exactly how he destroys marriages and destroys families, that's how he destroys the church. Because here's the convicting thing. Remember when Jesus looked at Peter and he knew what Peter was going to do. Peter was going to preach on the day of Pentecost and the church, remember the Holy Spirit was going to come and 3,000 people to save in one day. That's a great day for the church. And he said to Peter, he said, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And Peter, you're, you're going to preach, but it's going to be, I will build the church. And the gates of hell will what? Not prevail. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, against the church. He doesn't say, and the gates of hell will occasionally at times prevail against the church. No, he said, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Here's the thing. If the enemy, if the devil has prevailed against churches, and some churches he's caused to split and he's torn apart and they've shut their doors, you have to ask the question, was Jesus building that church? Was that Jesus' church or was that man's church? And he will prevail if it stops being, the enemy will prevail when it stops being Jesus' church. And that's how we walk in unity is we say, we're going to love each other, we're going to forgive each other, we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus. Here's the thing, we're going to forgive each other, we're going to forgive each other, and then we're going to forgive each other, right? And then we're going to forgive each other again. We say, God, I'm not going to get involved and when the enemy starts lying and we start justifying the battleground of the mind. We start thinking and we get our feelings hurt. And then what we do is we get our feelings hurt and we step with ourselves. We leave. We go. I'll go somewhere else. I'll go to another church. Guess what? You're going to get your feelings hurt there too. It's a matter of time. We have to get our hearts right before the Lord and run together. And again, unity is not agreeing on everything. That's not the definition of unity. Unity is actually tested when we don't agree. What will we do? Will we love each other? Will we continue to work? To, it, it, it's, it's unity in diversity. Loving always. Jesus says, this is my command. Love one another. Love one another. Number eight. It's kind of a long scripture, but I love this passage. But number eight is we will be intentional to reach out to those who do not know Christ. You can quite see that, but those who are far away from God, we will be intentional as the church to reach out to people. Look at what Paul says. I love this. One of my favorite passages in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, even though I'm a free man with no master, and it's interesting, again, he was not a free man most of the time, but he was free in here, right? Free in his heart. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to what? Bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, which he was a Jew, he said, I live like Jews to what? Bring the Jews to Christ. In other words, I would, I, I would tap into my, my Jewish roots and I, I would find commonality with them and I would serve them to bring them back. He said, when I was those who, those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did that so that I could what? Bring them to Christ. You're going to hear that over and over. Those who are under the law. 
And he says, when I'm with the Gentiles, who do not follow the Jewish law, I choose them apart from the law so that I can what? Bring them to Christ. Do you see the theme going on here? His mission. I, I do not ignore the law, God. I obey the law of Christ. In other words, I don't. He says, I know, I don't, I don't, I don't go and be a sinner among sinners just so that I can only practice that other kind of different purpose. But I would live among them. I would find commonality. I would be around them so that I can bring them across the Christ. He said, but I do obey the law of Christ. And still, I don't sin and, and compromise. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. So I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save them. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. And so he did all to bring people to Jesus. That's why your story, your life, if you allow Jesus to touch you and heal you and you surrender your life, he can take the mess that may have been a part of your life and he can use it to touch other people. That's why I love former alcoholics, former drug addicts, former um, you know, people maybe that, that, that dealt with depression or dealt with a number of different things. When they're walking with Christ, all of a sudden they can look into someone's eyes and they can say, I'm free because of Jesus. And now Jesus used in my life and I find the commonality to lead them to Christ. Because we are called to lead people to Christ. Don't forget that. And we will do here, we will, we will be intentional to reach out to people that don't know Jesus. Jesus, Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. He came to set sinners free, to give them new life, to give them abundant life in him. And we are called to be on mission. Don't forget that. That's, that is our calling. And when we get away from that, something is wrong. That means on Sunday mornings, we're going to, we'll, we'll aim, you know, there'll be, there'll be need for people that want need, but there, we're going to be aiming at people that don't know Christ. We want people that don't know Jesus to come in and say, welcome. We're broken too. We all need Jesus here. And that's why sometimes the music is different. And we're going to be, you know, creativity comes up. We, we want life-changing messages. We're not going to water down. We're not going to uh, compromise. That's why Paul says, I obey the law. We're not going to water it down or compromise. But sometimes the methods change, but the message does not change. And that's why Paul, this scripture, he says, I do these things and I find commonality so that I can win them to Christ. In other words, he would change his methods and he would be a little creative with this group to lead them to Christ. And we will do that too. We're going to be more intentional this even starting this fall. You see me up here checking my time. I'm going to be trying to be done preaching at a decent time. Just don't start shouting yet now, okay? So I'm going to wrap this up in the next eight minutes. I'm done today. All right, number nine. We will be contributors, not consumers. If you belong to Christ, you are called to be a contributor, not a consumer. The church does not exist for us. And I think in a lot of ways that's how churches have faltered and failed is because we have made it about personal preference instead of about worshiping God and loving people. Loving God, loving others. And so we were, we were called to be contributors. You were never, when you became a Christian, when you gave your life to Christ, you were never called to be an inactive member. You were never called to be a Christian that sits on the sidelines. 
It, 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 there was, there's, no, there's no word for that in the New Testament. When people became Christians, they gave their heart and their lives to the work of the kingdom. They were distributors. They gave up themselves. They gave up their time. They gave up their resources. They said, we are going to advance the kingdom together. We are called to be contributors, not consumers. We live in a very consumer-minded culture, don't we? All advertising is, how does it benefit you? What's in it for you? And so we make this about me. What's in it for me? And so, as the people of God, as people that are walking with the Lord, as people filled with God's Spirit and His power and His presence, we can be filling ourselves with that through the week. Filling our hearts with His presence, His Word, and His Spirit. But then that we come Sundays and we're spilling over with love for others. And that's why as believers, we shouldn't come into church going, I'm so weird. I need something. You should be filling up all through the week. If this is your only source of connecting with God, check, you need to check the heart. To be so filled that we're filling over what can I do? What has God called me to do? Who can I touch or reach out to? When Jesus said, I've come to get that you might have life, and when we're filled with that life, and we're we just say, I want to give that life to other people. And so, it's not about catering to personal preference in our mission to reach out. Philippians, it's not up there, but Philippians 2, Paul says, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, don't make it about you. Don't make it about your personal preferences. You know, that I can only worship God when these types of songs are playing and this is happening and this is the, this, we create this perfect thing of how I can worship God. It should not be with us. We should say, I can worship God no matter what is happening. Paul, do not do anything out of selfish ambition or things. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And it's real easy for those to look out for our own interests and to take the interests of others. Jesus can serve, didn't he? And so we're called to serve. We're called to be contributors to the kingdom. And if we are his followers, we should be serving with him. And we share his mission together. And so, as a pastor, I'm asking you as a follower of Jesus, I'm asking for your time. I'm asking for you to make Sunday mornings as we gather together. Remember what in, in, in Hebrews 10 it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. He was like some are in the habit of doing it. There was no different back then. He said, some are in the habit of not coming together. He said, you should come together. Don't forsake coming together together. But so that we can encourage one another and, 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 and provoke each other to love and good deeds. And that, that's how the body of Christ connects together. And so... In the name of the Lord, He's asking for our time and our resources and our energy to accomplish what He has for us, and it's about our hearts. And then, lastly, is this: I'm going shut me down with this over the next three minutes and thirty seconds. We will be known more for what we are for than what we are against. What does that mean? This does not mean, again, that we water down the message of the gospel. Jesus called people to repentance. Paul called people to repentance. But one of the greatest words in the gospel is repentance. 
Now that word has gotten a lot of negative play because we imagine, you know, mean-spirited people screaming at people, telling them to repent. But if you look at the word as it's intended by the gospel, to turn from our sins and turn our way of doing things and turn to Christ, it's a beautiful thing. It means transformation. It means I was going this way, now I'm going this way. It means God has changed me, and now I'm one that I want to please Him, and I want to walk with Him, and I want to love Him, and I want to do things His way because He loves me so much. So we won't water down the message. We will ask, we will ask God to touch in the heart. We will call people to repentance. We will say, this is sin. And, and, and we should forsake sin together. But we will, we, you know, we will preach truth, but we're going to use a platform not to condemn. And that's what, you know, Jesus says, uh, you know, this is the famous passage, John 3, 16, that most people know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? Right after that, He said, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's Jesus' word. He did not come to condemn the world. And so as, the, as believers of the church, we are not called to condemn the world. That is not our calling. If we are followers of Christ and He doesn't, then we don't have a license to. And so we should not be standing with condemning fears, but to say, with open arms, we call you, yes. And when we call you to Christ, we will say, God has a better plan for you, and He will call you away from sin, like He has called us all away from sin. But we are not called to condemn others, so we will, we will, we will uh, use our platform to reach toward people, to reveal the abundant life that comes from a surrendered heart to Jesus Christ. Guys, we are called by God for His purposes, for His glory, to advance the kingdom of God. It's an exciting time in history to be alive. You know, there is a lot of things happening in the world. And again, like I said earlier, whether that signals the time of our, you know, I can say this without any pause, we are closer than we've ever been. Captain Obvious, I know. Um, but things are happening in the world. A lot of things are going on. And again, that does not mean that we're right on the, the, the edge of something. It could mean that. The point is, are we, are we doing what God has called us to do? Will we be caught unaware if things begin to progress in such a way as to you know, cause a lot of problems on the earth? And we, again, we could be very close. We could still be many years from things happening. Here's the thing, though. We want to be ready no matter what. We want to be loving Jesus, serving Jesus, living for Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, loving each other, advancing the gospel, preaching the gospel, showing people Christ, and all that we do, making the most of every opportunity. And that when Paul wrote that again, the first apostles, those guys are my heroes, and I, I just love them. They were advancing the gospel, they were preaching, but things were happening all around them, persecution, darkness. They were being arrested, some of them being beaten. But of the twelve apostles, ten of them died as martyrs. They were killed for their faith. But you just see them, their eyes were on Jesus. They focused on Jesus. And no matter what came, they, their hearts were ready for whatever. And then here's Peter, who denied Christ three times. And we've all blown it, and Jesus restores him. But you have his death where they're going to crucify him. So you want to you be Jesus' follower, we're going to kill you like we killed him. And how does it, what kind of heart Peter had at that moment where he says, Will you put me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my Lord? Where do you have to be in your heart 
to be able to say that as opposed to being caught off guard and saying, oh, no, I renounced that. I don't know who Jesus is. And he could have, he already denied him once before, but then he knew he had seen the risen Christ. And he says, I know that you guys are going to kill me, but you're doing me a great favor because I'm going to be a pastor all day. So crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like him. And no matter what the persecution that comes, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to give my heart to him. Please stand with me. Thank <laughs> you.